Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing remarkably well. That's excellent. Good to hear. It is excellent. Yes. I'm doing well, too, because this weather is not like fall weather lately in Toronto. It's more like the early July weather. And uh, I couldn't be happier. If, it, if the weather never changed from this, I'd be thrilled. But I'm not <laughs> fool enough to think that it won't. Well, that's the problem with Canada. Fall usually lasts you about a week. And then it goes, you know, from boiling hot to uh, first snowfall and the winter tires on. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it, too. I've had the air conditioning and the furnace on and off about six times this week already. But I'm not complaining. It's uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a great well, it's a good problem to have to have air conditioning and a furnace. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk today is talk about things being hot and cold. We're going to talk uh, later about Facebook. But up first, we're going to talk about the lifting of the potential lifting of further uh, limitations here in Ontario due to COVID. The uh, premier is hinting at uh, restrictions being lifted. What is it you're hearing? Well, I, I actually heard a couple of days ago from one of my political friends that uh, the heat that they were that the provincial government was getting over the restaurants and gyms and all of those people still being stuck with uh, with limited seating capacity indoors uh, was was really reaching a fever pitch, especially you know in light of the of the decision, which I think personally, I think is a crazy decision about opening up uh, the uh, sports venues and the so, movie you know, theaters for, and movie theaters to full capacity. Yeah. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a strange, it's a real cart before the horse thing because restaurants seem to be, you know, the data that's available seems to indicate that restaurants and those kinds of venues are not big vectors for the spread of COVID. Uh, you know, as long as, you know, there's masking and you wash your hands and now we've got vaccine passports uh, and, and all that kind of stuff coming in. So they're not a big spreader, but you think that big sports events where people are crowded in right next to each other. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a big uh, you know, live sports person because you go there and you sit in these tiny little uncomfortable seats, uh, you know, with people, you know, getting up and down, spilling beer on you the whole time. And your, you know, your knees are up in your nose and people are standing and they're yelling and they're hooting and hollering and half the people aren't wearing masks, you know, from what I've seen anyway. Those are places where you get COVID. So it's, it's a strain, you know, the Ford government decided they wanted to, to basically knuckle under to, you know, make believe sports and some of the, you know, the, the big, uh, the big venues that are, are, are hurting for this. So they decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to make these people happy by probably against most of the medical evidence, opening this up to general full capacity seating. And then you get the backlash from the restaurants saying, well, what about us? And they're going, okay, well, we made a bad decision about the uh, about indoor sports. So I guess we have to make a second decision now about uh, about restaurants. So it's it's going to happen. I, you know, I say I heard a couple of days ago that there were rumblings that uh, they were going to have to do it, not for medical reasons, but for political reasons. And it looks like we're going to uh, we're going to get both now. Well, I think what's interesting is uh, it gives us a chance to play the game of who has the strongest lobby. Because obviously, uh, Cineplex and uh, Maple Leaf Sports and you know, all the sports venues, they've obviously got a strong lobby, uh, in, you know, in influencing the Ford government. You could see that all the way through the pandemic with the things that he left open and things that he let continue to, con you know, continue to happen. Uh, you know, construction, well, developers spend a lot of money supporting Doug Ford and the Conservatives. So it was pretty easy to connect the dots. And this is easy to connect the dots as well. You know, I uh, went to a restaurant. Uh, we went to a restaurant last week and they are vigilant about uh, obeying all the rules. You know, and every restaurant I've been to, you know, during times when we were allowed to, to eat in, uh, vigilant uh, about me because they don't want to get shut down. They don't want anybody getting COVID from, from their location or at their location. They don't want any inspector coming in and seeing that they're flaunting the rules. They, it's their economic life that is at stake. And so they need to, they watch like a hawk. And 
that's why the vectors haven't been strong from you know dining in and it almost has seemed like the the restrictions on uh dining in uh at restaurants were performative as opposed to backed by good science it seemed like it was you know don't just stand there do something uh and and that's what they did it and and yeah you can if you were to think about it without knowing facts or data you'd think yeah a restaurant where people are sitting next to each other very close and uh you know food is being passed around and so on uh people are chewing droplets coming out you would think oh it makes sense there's probably a, a lot of uh, a lot of infection from there but the statistics prove that that's not the case and you know i i this is also the same with small stores you know owner operator stores during the the lockdown they weren't vectors for for uh, transfer they were people were observing the limitations of the number of people going into their stores and they were being very vigilant and yet they were shut down this is a lot of these these lockdowns have not been based on what i've seen to be solid science and i say this not as a scientist but as somebody who just who reads and granted i read on the internet so does every other idiot who comes up with a completely opposite points of view and 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 anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers but looking at the results from the science table uh, of ontario it didn't appear that the decisions as to what to lock down were based on solid data based more on like i said before don't just stand there do something and you know and similarly in Ontario, uh, the uh, the idea of sending primary um, uh, and middle school kids back to school again was not based on the scientific data. Right, the, uh, and it's been proven now because you know here we are uh, you know a month out, a month and a couple of weeks, and a third of new COVID cases in Ontario are among school children. And, you know, they, they even tried to float early on and say, well, you know, these cases aren't there. The kids aren't giving each other COVID. The kids are getting COVID from adults in their household and then coming into the school. Um, and and that, that's not true. They're now finding that most of the ca cases of COVID transmission in primary schools is kid to kid. Um, and the, the decision, you know, the decision to open schools without the safeguards, and this is the thing about, about the, you know, the conservative government in Ontario, is they're cheap. I mean, they're sitting on literally billions of dollars of unspent COVID money from the federal government that they're just saving to make their budget look better because, you know, they're, it's an election. Uh, well, they're eight months away from the election and, yeah. uh, you know, they announced that, uh, you know, their deficit is, is way smaller than they thought it was going to be. Well, yeah, it's all the unspent federal COVID money yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's doing that. And some of that, which was, you know, none of it was earmarked, which is the problem, but it was supposed to be spent on things like school. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they haven't updated ventilation. You know, they may have put a, a little HEPA unit in, in the classrooms, but the kids are still packed in 30 to a class. There's no space. The kids are touching everything. Uh, you know, masks are, are worn and not worn. And the, it, it's, it's really quite a mess. And it's, you know, maybe you could have opened the school safely if you had done all of the things that we are really common sense and medical science says you should have done but they didn't do any of that because you know a couple of things they're cheap and they really don't <laughs> like schools they, they hate teachers they, <laughs> they hate don't the like school teachers. system yeah. Yeah. yeah and they just they're not going to spend any money on schools it's just an article of faith of the conservative uh in ontario and in a lot of other places too that you starve the schools because you know they're sure the teachers are you know driving around in the rolls royces and uh and, and, uh, and you know and spending their summers on the riviera and indoctrinating students in marxist ideology exactly teaching them all to yeah. be trotskyites yeah uh, so you know so they're not going to give them a dime for this kind of stuff and you know they'll they'll do a couple little showy things, but they didn't put any of the money into, especially the um, uh, the inner city schools, which are old. Uh, I mean, I, I think they've probably got most of the asbestos out of them, uh, them now after like thirty years, but they're still falling apart because some of these schools are really, really, really old. They're not like the suburb ones, which you know have been built in new subdivisions. They're really, really old, and they don't want to put any money into it. And, you know, so they opened up the schools and the reason they opened the schools was parents had to get back to work. 
uh, and you know their parents, who are also voters, were getting pretty testy about having their kids around all day and having to relearn grade uh, five math. So again, that was a political decision. And the, the decision to open the stadiums up was a political decision because your, your Maple Leaf fan or your, um, or, or your, uh, your uh, Blue Jays fans, you know, they're, they're the Joe Lunchpail voters who will vote conservative and are going to be mad because they hold seasons tickets or whatever else and they can't see their baseball or football or, or hockey games. So again, the election's coming and that's a voter block that they had to throw a bone to. So, and the consequence of that was now probably the least dangerous uh, place for transmission. Restaurants are finally going to next week, we think get a break and uh, be able to open up. But you know, that, that that's putting it completely on its head. I mean, it, they should have been the first ones to open up followed probably by, uh, by a lot of money going into schools so it's safe to open them up or split up classes, which means, you know, God forbid you hire more teachers and you need more portables and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, crowded venues of, of people. But, uh, you know, what, you know, it, it's politics. It's not science. Oh, yeah, it's it's political science. <laughs> it's not yeah. science, science. No, I agree with you. Uh, interesting thing is the uh, intimation today. Uh, the day we're recording this, the 14th of October, that uh, Premier Ford was suggesting that the vaccine passports may eventually become voluntary, that providing that 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 places of business or whatever won't necessarily have to request or, or see proof of vaccination. It'll be based on whether they choose to. And I thought, wow, we haven't even really we haven't got the passports in our hands yet. And he's already, already backsliding. and he's oh yeah he's already signaling that he's he's surrendering to his base surrendering to his donors and that was really disturbing to me I, I mean maybe that's a stage we get to eventually hopefully we get to a stage where that's okay but we're not at that stage now we're nowhere near that stage now we don't even have the passports yet and he's already undermining them. Yeah, and it's these car votes that are killing us too. I mean, whether it's to mandatory vaccination, and you know, I'm a big believer in mandatory vaccination. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not someone who gets the flu shot. Uh, you know, for, for, you know, not, not for ideological or religious or any other reasons. It's just, uh, you know, I, I just generally don't seem to get the flu. Uh, you know, maybe if I get the flu a couple of times, I'll, I'll give it another thought. But, uh, but the COVID vaccine, vaccine, it's proven to work. It flattens the curve. It, it has you know, very few side effects and, and, and even fewer serious ones. Uh, it's widely uh, um, takeable by people who are pregnant and have heart conditions and allergies. I mean, there's, there are basically no medical reasons for people not to have it unless you've already had one shot and had a bad reaction. And that's such a small subset. Um, but the the, the, everyone came out, you know, and said, you know, mandatory vaccinations. Then they started doing car votes, and they said, well, you know, if uh, if you um, uh, if you have a, a religious exemption, it's like, well, there, are, you know, we talked about this before. There really aren't a lot of religious grounds for uh, you know, for uh, for refusing vaccination. Even even the Christian scientists who issue all kinds of medical uh, treatment and believe in the power of prayer to solve things published on their official religions website, their vaccine policy, which is, we, we're not against it. If uh, we're, we would not tell any of our members not to take it. Now it's up to our members to decide if they want to take it themselves, but there's no religious prohibition from the Christian scientists on taking it. The Catholic Church, the Pope has said, take it. There's, there's no reason why Catholics should not take this vaccine. Uh, it, it, in spite of the fact that an American uh, bishop, archbishop, uh, just uh, yesterday said, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't take this vaccine. Um, you know, it, it's as a medical religious faith. Uh, but, you know, aside from, you know, the people who have their novel interpretations of the Bible or various other holy books, there's really no major religion that says you should not take a vaccine um, as a matter of religious faith. Um, Matter of, matter of conscience, 
you know, and, you know that, this is the thing that people are starting to talk about in the charter, you know, the, the charter, section two of the charter says that I have the freedom of religion and the freedom of conscience. And they've tried to interpret that as, well, conscience is anything I believe. And, and, and that's not right. That just isn't true because people believe a lot of stupid stuff. Um, and, you know, conscious rights in the charter are actually pretty badly defined and decisions, you know, from the Supreme Court on it are kind of all over the place, but it basically, you can't just say, you know what, I did my own research and therefore it's a matter of my conscience. I don't want to take it. It's got to be part of an elaborate belief system that's grounded in something. So there really aren't even conscience objections, but politicians who, who are worried about that noisy 15%, 12% of the population who you know yell on street corners and uh, make a scene in front of hospitals and restaurants, um, they're, they're kowtowing to these people who don't want to take the, the vaccine for whatever reason, because Bill Gates is putting a chip in you or you're going to grow a, uh, you know, a second head or maybe a couple of extra brain cells. Or, um, or the, the popular one, it'll make you sterile. Oh, you know, if only if only it was true, um, the uh, you know, because there's a lot of people who probably shouldn't be. Well, th thank you. Know, <laughs> thank goodness it isn't true, because if it's true. The smart people who are getting well, that's right. I guess it all the, all the smart people would die off, and we'd yeah, be and the, with we'd 12%. be left with nothing but idiots. Yeah, well, you know, some days it feels like that, but you know, <laughs> most but, days but, if you're on the internet. But for some reason, and maybe this is because it is part of their constituency. Maybe those noisy anti-vaxxers are part of the constituency of the various, you know, the Alberta, you know, the, the the United Conservative Parties base or you know doug ford's conservative base in ontario or you know various other places where you know in saskatchewan and all the rest maybe they're afraid to honk these people off even though they're a small but vocal minority instead of just saying look no exceptions you know um you know the same you know you got to get your vac vaccine and if you don't you know, if you don't get it then here are the consequences. You can't get a vaccine passport, which means you cannot participate in the social life uh, until this thing is done. So yeah, sure, we're not going to hold anyone down and give them the vaccine, but there are consequences for not taking it, which means you might not be able to go to your job, which means you might lose it. You might, uh, you know, not be able to send your kid to school. You might not be able to go to your, uh, uh, you know, go to a restaurant or a sports event. Those are the consequences of your actions. So you're free not to do it, but you know, you're going to be sitting at home until this thing is over. And this thing over is a very elastic term when it comes oh, to COVID. getting more elastic every day. Yeah. Yeah. The, the notion that this is going to go away and not impact our lives, I think, is uh, becoming a passe notion as we recognize in some form or another, we are going to be dealing with COVID for a while. Uh, I think that the the best way I mean, it's almost mandatory pass, uh, pass, uh, vaccinations when you make it mandatory that people show proof of vaccination to basically live their lives, to enter places uh, that they would like to enter, enter businesses they'd like to enter, enter uh, community gatherings, uh, places like, uh, like movie theaters and so on. They, by making that a, a necessity, if somebody wants to live a full life, they're gonna to have to get the vaccines. And if they choose not to, they're really limiting their, they're shrinking their world quite substantially. So you really have to have some kind of uh, ironclad opposition, you know, uh, whether ideologically or uh, pseudo-scientifically, or pseudo-religious uh, reason to not take the, the vaccine. You've really got to be ardent about it if you're willing to make the sacrifice. And that's what it becomes. It becomes the people taking the vaccine aren't the ones making sacrifices. The ones who are choosing not to take the vaccines are the ones who are making sacrifices, whether they want to or not, because they're being barred from entering many places. Now, the side effect of that is that uh, poor employees who aren't hired to deal with unruly customers uh, are forced to be the front line of enforcement and people who don't want the vaccines you know it's like that old joke how do you know if your friend's a vegan don't worry they'll tell you um it's the, it's the same thing about how do you know 
if somebody coming in is, is an anti-vaxxer. Don't worry. They'll tell you. Many yeah. of them are looking for a fight. They're looking for you to tell them they can't come in so they can spout off, so they can talk about their freedoms and whatever other tripe they want to spout. But they're, they're spoiling for a fight. When you know you're not vaccinated and you're trying to get into a place where vaccinations are required, you know you're spoiling for a fight. And they are psychologically preparing themselves for that fight. You can see that in the videos online of how, just how quickly it escalates. It's not yeah. a calm conversation. It, immediately, these individuals, uh, as they call them, Karens, and I don't know what the male version is, but they explode rather quickly and rather, uh, rather uh, fantastically to go from, you know, I'm sorry, you can't come in without a vaccination. Whoa, then it's DEFCON 3 and things are blowing up all over. They go ballistic. Uh, yep, and their cell phones for, come out and they're, and they're videoing it and they're posting that, it. Yeah. And, yeah. And you start hearing about how they know their rights. And, and especially funny in Canada is when they quote rights that are actually out of the uh, American constitution. Um, but you see that they're spoiling for a fight. And these poor people who are just employees, just customer service representatives, salespeople, uh, what have you, cashiers, they're forced to be the first line of enforcement. And they're not trained in de-escalation. And, oh, and you know, a lot of a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars have you know, for a long time have had to deal with with, well, you know, drunks, um, underage drinkers, uh, you know, you know they, they check your ID and, you know, they'll they'll kick you out of, uh, you know, if you're if you're trying to drink underage. I mean, we already have sort of frontline um um, you know, private restaurateurs and and, uh, and and bar owners who who do this kind of stuff for other things. I mean, you know, obviously COVID, getting into it in the first place is, you know, unless you're trying to get into a strip club when you're like 15, uh, you know, there's very few things that will bar you at the door. I, you know, I, I remember uh, trying to go to, out to um, a, a pub lunch uh, with my wife and my son, who was still, in, you know, he was still in a, a carrier. He was, he, he was an old, you know, like a carrying bucket. And we went to one of the, I think it was one of the Firkins, uh, like the Friar and Firkin or the Firkin and something or other. And uh, we were going to go in there and, and have some lunch. And they said, I'm sorry, you can't come in. I said, well, why not? They say, well, he's underage. I mean, like, like he's, he's, he's asleep and has his bottle and he's in like a, a baby carrier. Um, I don't think he's going to be a problem. Says, no, no, you know, we cannot have anyone in here who's under, you know, it was, you know, it's Ontario because there's all kinds of weird rules about that kind of stuff. And, you know, my son's now 19. So this was, this was, you know, 18 and a half years ago, but there are times, you know, people forget that, you know, you can't go anywhere you want and that there are people who will check you for your id if you're you know if you're in the uh, liquor store and uh, you know you know the, the liquor store has this this odd policy it isn't uh, based on any law anywhere that uh, anyone under the age of of 19 can't touch any of the bottles on the shelf i mean there's no law that says that anywhere but it's you know the liquor store claims that there is one but you know they will turf you out if you're doing that because there are certain requirements for being a customer in certain kinds of places and the covid passport is just another one of them. it's too bad that this small group like you say spoiling for a fight is looking to get as much noise out of it as possible which intimidates the politicians into backsliding on things and it's pretty clear now that that uh, you know people are not going to get vaccinated unless you use a stick I mean, we've tried incentives. Alberta just gave away $15 million, $100 at a time for people to go get their shot. Uh, you know, we've had public uh, education campaigns, wall-to-wall -wall commercials, news stories. I mean, we've been doing this now for, for 10 months with the vaccine. And we still have a hardcore group of people who won't get the vaccine. And, you know, the, you know, the great liberal idea is, well, if we just educate people and tell them, you know, the benefits and the analysis, we talk to them about the, uh, about the, uh, you know, the, 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 the rate of, of side effects is very low and it's been tested. It's one of the most tested drugs in history because, you know, the, the rollout and, you know, the way we put it together and it, people will come around to the idea that a vaccine is a good thing for them. And the answer to that is no, there is a bunch of rockheads who are, you know, 12, 15% of the population who just will not do it. So you've got to say, look, 
here's what you got to do. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose access to all these fun things unless you have it and no exceptions. Because as soon as you start doing exceptions, you know, there was a doctor who was, um, who was disciplined just uh, the other week for writing phony baloney uh, exemptions, medical exemptions to it. And he was pulled up in front of the, uh, the College of Physicians and disciplined for doing that. And, you know, for everyone that they catch, there's dozens of them who are doing this. You know, I got in trouble on, on Twitter for saying, I, I live in Greektown, and it is the home of the handicap parking pass. And everyone, everyone except for, for I guess me, has a handicapped parking pass in 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 on the Danforth. And there's some doctors who are just churning those things out. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're getting payment for it, but uh, you know, they're they're doing it for special friends. There are exemptions of avail available, and if you make one available, then people will take advantage of it. So. The answer to vaccination is you don't make the exemptions available, except for those really, really narrow criteria that they have. Like they said, someone who actually has had their first shot and had a bad reaction to it. Um, that is basically the only exemption that exists uh, for it. But as soon as they start widening it up or loosening the requirement to have a vaccine passports, this 12, 15% will not get vaccinated and they'll continue to cause trouble. Well, what is a bad reaction to the first shot? You know, what qualifies as a bad reaction? How serious does it need to be? Are there a list of symptoms that take it from normal side effects you can expect to something outside, you know, beyond the pale? Because not the first shot, but definitely the second shot, everybody I know who had the second shot was knocked on their ass by the second shot, where the first shot was kind of mildly disorienting for me. Um, but I did have a reaction to the first shot and it wasn't pleasant. So is that enough of a bad reaction to get an exemption from my second shot? Like it's, it is such a, an amorphous term, had a bad reaction. Yeah, and the they have published some guidelines about it, but no one seems to be following them. I mean, it's basically if you had anaphylaxis, you know, I, and I had my second shot, I was absolutely fine. I didn't even I I, I didn't even notice any difference uh, after my my first shot. I had you know I, I felt uh, kind of fluey for about twelve hours, but my second shot, nothing. But you know, they say basically if you've had anaphylactic shock. You know, not a little red bump on your shoulder, you know, not, oh, I feel a little feverish or I lost my appetite or, uh, you know, any of those sorts of things. Those things don't count. You have to have had like a severe medical reaction to your first shot that required medical treatment. Um, that is, you know, what exempts you from your second shot. Um, but short of that, um, you know, and, and, you know, there's some, you know, people who develop uh, a very, very rare heart uh, condition uh, as a result that you, that passes fairly quickly, actually. Um, and they get exempted as well. But aside from that, no, like I say, if you feel nauseous, you get a fever, you're in bed for a couple of days, even if you have a mild allergic reaction, you know, they, they say, still get the shot and give yourself a shot with the EpiPen um, because you're, you're better off having the vaccination um, than, than, uh, than the small uh, allergic reactions you have, even even a, a, you know anything short of being on the ground, turning purple and not being able to breathe, um, is is not does not qualify for an exemption. But people will stretch that as much as they can, and it's 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 very sad to see politicians backsliding on the exemptions as a way of currying favor with the crazies uh, because everyone will automatically start claiming these exemptions you know whether it's religion you know religious exemptions and uh, or conscience exemptions as well which you know we talked about being you know not being pretty pretty flimsy um, most of these people are not claiming those kinds of exemptions though they're claiming like we said that it's uh, that it's uh, an untested virus a, a vaccine that it is a social it's experimentation that it's mind control that it's all this all this crap on the internet um and that's why they don't want to take it it's not because of medical reasons well i have to laugh at this whole we don't know what's in it we don't know what's in just about anything we eat uh, you know, much about anything we ingest, we don't know what's in it. We just make an assumption that if there was something bad in it, it wouldn't be on the shelves for us to buy. Sure. But we don't apply that to 
and I think that the the oversight on something like a, a medical vaccine is far more stringent than on a box of cookies, for example, or toothpaste, uh, a burger from a fast food joint. There's those are not stringently watched, whereas something like a vaccine, it is so uh, the, the focus on it is so extreme by the companies and the governments that it is vetted more than anything, just about anything else you put in your body. Just yep. because it, you don't know what's in it or you don't understand what the components mean, so what? Uh, no shame in it. You're not supposed to be a, an epidemiologist or a virologist. Listen, I can't fix my car. So I go to a mechanic who knows how to fix my car. I don't say, I don't know what he's doing there because I don't know what he's doing there, but I trust that he knows what he's doing there. And in the end, my car runs. So, and I could apply this illustration to so many things in our lives. It's just an absurd notion. We don't know what's in it. It hasn't been tested for long enough. Where was it I read that uh, the, uh, the, the Jonas Salk virus took mm -hmm. a, a couple thousand years to develop? <laughs> because because it was uh, I, I don't remember the year that it was uh brought out but you know the polio vaccine took uh some two thousand years to be developed because there wasn't one before that <laughs> which i thought was kind of clever and funny um this uh, there have been experimenting with mrna delivery systems for some time oh for more than a decade yeah and they do understand, they have some working knowledge of virology. So this didn't come out of, this isn't something that, even though it's called a novel coronavirus, it isn't that novel. It isn't something that is a illness that they have no concept of. It didn't come from space on a meteorite. It, it falls into a family of viruses that we have some knowledge, some working knowledge of. So the idea that, uh, that it didn't take enough time to, to be tested. As I said before, there's no way that these pharmaceutical companies would let these things out in the public if they really thought there was a great risk of doing harm because their, uh, the governments would probably sue them, the individuals would sue them, and their stock prices would tank. And no doubt the person who okayed it would probably have to resign. So there's a tremendous self-interest in the pharmaceutical yep. industry to put it's, out something it's never that is a, safe. Yeah, it's never a good business policy to kill your customers. Um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't tend to work. You don't get repeat business. No, no, exactly. And you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, you and I talked before about uh, about how we're both addicted to uh, to junk candy, like, you know, yes. um, and, uh, you know, the old uh, corner store candy. And I happen to have a box of sweet tart sitting on my desk. I turned it over and just out of curiosity, I say, okay, the ingredients, sugar. Okay, I know what sugar is. Malic acid, calcium stearate. I had no idea. Uh, natural flavors, which, you know, comes a, a bit of a surprise in sweet tarts. Tartarazine, Allura Red, and Ingotine may contain egg. I know what an egg is, but most of that other <laughs> stuff, I have no idea. But, it, you know, does that stop me from eating, uh, you know, a box of sweet tarts at a sitting? No, it doesn't. Um, it's probably we ate breakfast cereals for years, not knowing what riboflavin was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was addicted to Captain Crunch, and you know God knows what's in that stuff. Probably shredded Chinese newspapers, but uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, in, in a lot of sugar. I, I think man, my dentist was really thrilled that I I loved sugary cereal as a kid. But you know, but people who you know the whole idea of doing my own research and all the rest. I mean, you don't go blindly into anything. And yeah, pharmaceutical companies have made mistakes in the past. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're way, way, way down that road now. I mean, literally tens, hundreds of millions of people have had this, uh, had, had the vaccine. And there are billions of people who want to have the vaccine at this point. It is the most studied uh, medicine in the world at the moment. And, you know, for people who you know, basically failed grade 11 chemistry uh, to say, you know, I've got an, a, a, I've got a bead on this thing that everyone else has missed about how dangerous it is. It, you know, pick something else as your battleground because you're not going to win that one. 
sorry, my mic was muted accidentally there. Um, the, the thing about do your own research, which everyone's like, I did my research. Are you qualified to understand that research? Are you qualified to be able to tell the junk science from the real science? Do you have a framework within which to judge this research that you're studying? Do you know the medical history of the, the doctor who's making wild claims about the virus or claims about the, the vaccine? You don't know, and I, I can read a, uh, a trade magazine for an industry and I can read it, the words are all in English and I understand the phrasings, but they could be telling me anything and I would have to agree because it's written in a persuasive manner. They sound authoritative and I don't have the framework with which to judge whether this stuff is credible or not. So these people who are saying they're doing their own research, you're not educated enough in that area for studying and doing your own research to actually yield productive and, and logical results. You're, it, this is, it's witchcraft at this point in time. It's using stuff that sounds information-y and putting that together into, into an argument, but you really don't know what it is you're assessing. You have absolutely no framework for assessing the, the validity of the claims that are being made. So, and you know, you could say that about the people who are pro-vaccine, except the people who are pro-vaccine, there is a medical consensus. So when you're dealing with a medical outlier, there needs to be a tremendous amount of understanding of what this person is saying, why they're saying it, what their credentials are. And that is often, those are often tools we don't bring to the table when Googling anti-vax, you know, Googling vaccine is bad for you. So don't do your own research because all you're doing is finding things that confirm what you already believe. That's not research. These people who are looking to do their own research, they're not looking for reasons to have the vaccine. They're looking for reasons not to. So they will skip over the, the, the pages and pages, hundreds, thousands of pages of data about, and, and anecdotal evidence about why these vaccines are safe and zero in on one that says it isn't by a doctor who happens to be a podiatrist. But, you know, the person, the person's a doctor. It says doctor in their name. So this business about I did my own research, you didn't, what you did was reading. You didn't do research. You don't understand what it is you're reading. You cannot contextualize it. So don't tell me you did your own research because you're not a virologist. Because if you were, you wouldn't need to do your own research. You would recognize the research that comes from your peers. And you'd probably be able to read the science journals and understand that this vaccine is safe. Well, and then you have the people who do their own research and because they don't trust the vaccine and they end up uh, taking uh, ivermectin, you know, horse paste, uh, which, you know, and, and who knows what's in that. But, you know, they, there's no consistency in their thought, which is, is, is always my bugbear, uh, because, you know, they, they go on and on about, uh, about the vaccine being experimental and, you know, and, and, you know, you don't know what's in it. And, and then, but their alternative is, you know, we're going to take this, this horse deworming paste uh, that you get from a veterinarian, uh, because I read something else that says, this will cure it, or this will keep me from getting it. And it's like, well, I thought you didn't trust, you don't trust millions of doctors uh, and you know, in the biggest trial in the world, but you will tr trust this quack cure. So again, that goes back to my point. There's, there's some people you're just not going to be able to reach because they think differently uh, and not in a good way. And you're not gonna be able to convince them because we've tried and we've tried and tried and tried to reach them with empirical data and, and calm information, uh, they, they, they grab onto, you know, whether it's the conspiracies or the, you know, the one person who had a bad reaction uh, that they, you know, that, uh, um, that gets reported and not the, you know, the millions of people who didn't die as a result of being able to, uh, you know, get the vaccine. Uh, it, it's, you, you just can't reach those people. And, you know, and shame on the politicians who, who propagate that. I mean, in the federal election, we had Maxime Bernier, uh, you know, getting uh, very, very cozy with the anti-vaxxers. And in Ontario, we have Randy Hillier, who was kicked out of the, uh, the caucus, uh, the, the provincial conservative caucus, because, you know, he 
believes that the vaccines are experimental and evil and will change your DNA and all kinds of other stuff in the United States is, is just full of it. I mean, you see that the, uh, you know, the vaccination rate in, in the United States is in the, is in the 50% range. You know, it's like 53, 55%. That's shockingly low. And when you look at where people are not getting vaccinated, uh, it, a lot of it is down in the South, where education levels are statistically the lowest in the United States. Religious belief is the highest in the United States. But, you know, but there's also all kinds of other states uh, where popular politicians have, have said, no, this is an issue of freedom. This isn't an issue of public health and safety. And, you know, and they're writing that 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 political pony for their own benefit and people are dying as a result of it. So you know, it's, it's sad when governments that know what they should be doing, like the provincial government in Ontario, like the provincial government in Alberta, uh, which re resolutely has refused, you know, they're going to have the best summer ever. They opened everything up. They had the stampede and people are dying. You know, right now the, uh, the, the rate in Alberta, I was just looking at uh, is, is, um, so the, the transmission value, it's, it's called an R value, and it, it needs to be one. That means one person, uh, it, uh, um, the average number of COVID infections transmitted by each diagnosed case is one. So, you know, when you have one to one, one person's infecting one other person. In, in uh, Alberta right now, the positivity rate right now is 8.3% for the testing. Um, the, uh, the, the R value in Alberta right now is hovering around one, uh, um, a value of one, but their, their cases are just out of control because there's, there's been no political will, uh, partially practical, partially ideological, to actually lock things down a little bit. Um, you know, the, you know, almost 3,000 Albertans have died of COVID. You know, they're, <clears throat> they're you know, they're, not one of the biggest population uh, provinces out there, but they account for a third of the cases in Canada. Um, you know, there, there's clearly a problem there, but there just isn't the will to do anything. And that's that's politics. That isn't medicine because we now have the tools. We know what needs to be done. They just refuse to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think we're getting into the territory of people have been listening to us preaching to the choir. So why don't we switch over to talking about Facebook? Well, one of the sources of a lot of the misinformation about, yes. about the vaccines is, is Facebook. What's the issue, the new issue with Facebook? Well, you know, the whistleblower who's, who came forward um, really, uh, I don't think, told us anything we didn't already suspect about uh, about um, about Facebook, that they uh, that they have an algorithm or uh, I'm not sure. You know, some people say it's a policy. I mean, Facebook's policy is we want to make money, um, and they do a pretty good job of, of it as well. I mean, Facebook. Uh, um, uh, well, I, I just saw uh, Instagram, um, which is a subsidiary of Facebook, has about a hundred billion. And I had to check that. Like, billion, not million. Hundred billion dollars in revenue last year. Um, it it is this this massive powerhouse. Um, of, of money-making and what they do is they want to sell ads and any news organization or, or publication sells ads based on readership, eyeballs on it, clicks, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So they're in the business of making money. And so they're in, their, in, in the business of generating eyeballs on screens. And, you know, the whistleblower said, well, part of that has been to cater to um, particularly young girls who have body image issues and uh, hate groups and, you know, other kind of niche, you know, not great for society people because they are avid consumers of this kind of stuff, even though it's harmful. And Facebook has sacrificed them to make money. And they wouldn't be the first company that did that. Uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, look at the Pinto, look at, you know, there's all kinds of things out there where companies have made strategic decisions to do something bad because it will make them money or ignore doing something good because it'll make them less money. And Facebook is just another one of these, but you know, their, their reach now is so great that, uh, you know, they spent about $20 million last year lobbying in the United States. 
uh, and you know the top uh, they have their own their own pack they have their own political action committee the facebook political action committee which makes donations to directly to politicians you know and, and they do it across the board you know nancy pelosi got some money and you know, you know people on the republican side got some money and you know the top people at facebook you know donated uh, about uh, four million dollars to uh, political campaigns last year just just personally um you know so they're like every any company buying influence and trying to keep get people to keep their hands off of it. And, and Zuckerberg has, has tried to say, you know, oh, we welcome regulation from Congress. Uh, you, know, you know, sure they do. Um, you know, as long as it doesn't interfere with their ability to do pretty much whatever they want and, and make money. But the whole idea of reining them in and some of the other tech giants too, you know, um, you know whether it's uh, Google, which is now a subsidiary of Alphabet, um, you know, these are big companies, you know, um, you know, Google made $150 billion in revenue in 2020. Um, Alphabet, it's, its parent made $182 billion. Uh, Amazon is like, you know, the poor kid on the block with only $86 billion last year. Um, these guys are getting too big for their britches. And the real question is, you know, how do we stop their influence, which is not always for the good. I mean, it, it's basically amoral. I don't think it's immoral, but it's it's the amorality of technology. Yeah. And of technologists who yeah, are absolutely. enamored. They, they, they're enamored of what they can do. They don't stop to think, what are we doing? What is the impact of what we're doing? Should we be doing this? Yeah. And when you when you uh, kind of hook that up with with hyper capitalism as well, uh, you know, that's that, you know, that's that's a powerful combination. Yeah, it and Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg says the right things. I think that you know they obviously whoever's programming him sends the, the signals to his head and tells him what to say. Because you hear that, you see that guy, and you hear that guy talk, and you think this is a billionaire. This hoodie wearing moron is a billionaire. I mean, talk about luck of the draw. Because there were other people putting together similar apps uh, to Facebook. But somehow Facebook caught on, and you get the sense that the man lives in an, in an internal world inside his head. Uh, I don't think he's fully connected to the outside world. I also don't think that he's. I, I believe, as you said, that there's an amorality to him, not an immorality, but an amorality to him. He doesn't consider impact on people with what he's doing. He looks at the goal of his company, which is to make money, and by excluding any uh, empathy uh, or any sense of responsibility to the consumer by excising that from his thinking, which I think he has, then that leaves you free to pursue whatever avenues exist legally for you to make money. And his answer was, you know, about the body image with young girls. He said, you know, well, why would we want to kill our, our customers? And the point is that you won't kill many of them. You will just make them miserable and have miserable lives. Um, the, you know, not, it's not a, 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 a pandemic of suicides that result from it. There are suicides uh, that result from, from body dysmorphia issues. Uh, but the, the, the bigger issue is the, the bigger number are the number of women who are being inculcated with toxic ideas about their bodies and about who they are. And that's uh, significant. It's worth dealing with. It's worth governments getting involved because it deals with public health. And that's what I think that uh, a lot of social media falls should fall under, as far as legislation goes, should fall under public health legislation because the stuff that they allow out there is damaging to people's psyche, like to, to the average person's psyche. You know, we're not talking about people who are, who have sensitivities that are uh, personal and outside the sphere of normal experience, but for people within the world of normal experience or typical experience, there are things being put out there which are poisoning minds. And the mind is, is it's part of your body. It, this, is, this is a public health issue, as far as I'm concerned, a public mental health issue, what is being allowed to uh, go out on social media and on all media platforms. 
it is deleterious, it is debilitating. And, you know, you don't want to cur curtail free speech just, just you know, because you think people should be able to say whatever they want, which isn't the law in Canada, by the way, in our constitution. But uh, you don't want to go after it on those grounds, you go after it on the grounds of public mental health and public well-being. Yeah, and the other one is 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 privacy because you know the uh, you know the secret to you know whether it's Facebook or uh, Google or Amazon, they've they've created the technology to know so much about us, and you know, most of us kind of you know accept the fact that you know if, if you click on a uh, uh, you know, I, I was looking at uh, I was looking at planters uh, for the, for the garden, and I clicked on you know I saw one that looked kind of interesting, and uh, I, I looked it up using Google search, <clears throat> and uh, you know clicked on it and went, hey, well, maybe you know maybe next year I've had nothing but planters being shoved out to me uh, on all of my social media platforms. Uh, you know, you need to buy a planter. You know, God, God forbid you actually buy something. You know, it's my, you know, it's like, you, know, you buy, you, you've, you bought yourself some snow tires. And uh, next thing you know, it's like Google saying, uh, you need more snow tires. And we know you just bought some, but we think you need, you obviously like snow tires. You're going to buy, them. you know, that kind of stuff is, is, is pretty expected and common, but the, the interconnectedness of, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, or, or, you know, Google, I mean, Google, which is, you know, not just Google, which is also Google, uh, Gmail and Chrome and YouTube and calendar and blogger for those of us who are old enough to remember that all of these <laughs> things, all of the data, um, is, is, is being shared inside in ways that, you know, we don't really appreciate. I mean, someone in Facebook was saying, well, you know, obviously you know, because between Facebook and Instagram, Facebook knows because when you set up an account, uh, you may have given it it's your birth date or year. Uh, you've got friends, you've got family. Um, and it's not just what you've looked at and what you've spent time looking at. It's what your friends are looking at too, because they assume you have something in common with your friends. So th they build this sort of ecosystem uh, of you and, and a family tree of sort of likes and dislikes of people around you thinking, well, if your friends like this, then chances are you like this too. And, you know, they, they tie that in with geography and all kinds of other stuff. And they end up knowing a ton about you and your habits, you know, stuff that you're even not even aware of yourself, particularly. And it's the danger of knowing all of this stuff from so many different sources that is, is really quite scary and drives a lot of you know, the ability for them to target and micro-target political ads. Because you, you can go in there and you can buy um, ads, you know, whether it's Google ads or Facebook. I mean, that, you know, that's their Instagram's $100 billion of revenue all came from advertising. And it's because it's effective and targeted to people because they know more about you than you do. So they can push out stuff to you. They can influence you. Um, so in the political sphere, they can, you know, if you've, if you've been to a gun range or a gun show, or, you know, you've liked a, an anti-vax protest or, you know, or on the other side of the spectrum, you know, you, you, you've, uh, you know, liked a whole bunch of, of liberal or left-wing causes, then they start building up a profile of, and sell that to advertisers to reinforce your ideas, you know, rather than expand your, you know, expose you to kind of competing views because people don't like that. People like to have their, their biases confirmed and they're going to stay on longer uh, a platform of something that is uh, agreeing with you and telling you how smart and good looking you are. Um, but, or, you know, Facebook preying on your, your, uh, your insecurities as well. Um, but that's, you know, that's how they make their money. And that's an incredibly potent political tool that we've seen people just starting to harness in the last couple of elections. You know, the NDP in the last uh, federal election spent more money on social media than they spent in, on the entire 2019 election campaign. They spent over $10 million uh, on, on, on social media buys. And uh, in the upcoming Ontario provincial election, the Ontario NDP uh, just announced that, you know, it's only eight months away, that they are going to spend more than half of their money on social media buys as well. So this has become an incredibly powerful and, and dangerous tool of, uh, you know, it's one thing to put an ad on the paper in the, in the, uh, in the paper or on, uh, on TV, uh, which just kind of blasts out to everybody and it resonates with some, doesn't with others. 
this, these ones are designed to resonate specifically with you and manipulate you in a certain way. And we've seen, you know, in the last uh, campaign, you know, a platform for lies because Facebook, again, amoral, um, Google and, and all the rest, they don't care if something's true or not. They just care whether or not it gets results and someone pays for the ad. Yeah. And I'd like to say that those people have been saying regulation is coming, regulation is coming, but I don't see that happening in the US, for example. I don't see there being any, uh, any realistic attempts at regulating social media. And certainly when the Republicans take control of uh, Congress at the midterms, which is likely to happen, we're not gonna see any of that happening. Uh, and in Canada, more likely in Canada than in the States, but you've also got people in Canada who are ardent defenders of what they believe is free speech. And they don't wanna see companies restricted either. They don't like government mixing into the internet at all. And they are very loud and very colorful in expressing their opinions. So will it come to Canada? If, it, if it's gonna to come to Canada, or to come anywhere, it'll come to Canada before it goes to the United States. I'd like to see some regulation. I'd like to see uh, Facebook and the others held partially responsible like publishers of newspapers or publishers of books. I understand that the volume of what's published on those sites is far too large to employ a staff of people to vet everything, uh, but they do need more people to handle, more humans to handle complaints and uh, more humans to answer phones that can interact and talk with people. They, they need some way of being uh, reached, of being connected with. Uh, and I don't see that happening anytime soon either. So uh, we will just have to watch and see. Yeah, and you know, Europe is actually in the forefront of, of cracking down on some of these, uh, these big social media platforms. Uh, you know, like Canada, they are a little more uh, regulation-minded, a little less Wild West. You know, the United States has got this, um, this uh, freedom of capitalism to uh, pillage and rape as much as they like as part of their God-given right uh, than, than we in Canada have. That's why we have uh, far fewer billionaires, but, uh, you know, a much bigger middle class than, uh, than the United States. And Europe, uh, you know, the same way, they, they consider cons community, you know, above individuals. Uh, and uh, so, and they look at the effect of these things. So, you know, Facebook is having a tough time, you know, there are some, you know, better players in the market, you know, Apple came out with a, uh, with their uh, iOS, uh, I think it was 14, 14.5 um, with um, a privacy feature that uh, that Facebook actually hates. But, you know, there's lots of ways around it. I mean, you can turn off tracking and, you know, you know any any website that has a Facebook uh, pay, uh, button on it, like follow us on Facebook, that page is tracking you. Uh, it's built into that little little tiny button, you know, whether or not that you're in Facebook or not. Facebook is tracking you across, uh, across the internet. And, you know, Apple is saying like, okay, we're going to, make some efforts to build this into a mainstream platform. There's lots of little, little things that you can, you know, apps you can uh, download or extensions to browsers that will keep things from tracking you. Uh, you know, Google, Google Chrome is, is amazing at, at tracking you for its own purposes, for, for Google's uh, purposes. But, you know, it's, it's challenging uh, to try to keep your, your, your life from falling into the hands of the big data people, because we are on, on these things so much. And, uh, you know, we, we do like to share and it's really, really hard to actually find, you know, uh, the security features where you can turn on various privacy things. I mean, they're designed that way. They're buried under layers. So it is difficult to turn these things off because like we said, this is the bread and butter for these, uh, these companies. They, uh, you know, they make their money on tracking you. Um, and that's why they give away the platforms for free because you're the product. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like drug dealers, you know, your first hit is free. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I'm on Facebook and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely on Twitter. I'm not much of an Instagrammer, but, uh, you know, you, you, 
you know, you assume some of the risk and you got to be a little care. I see some things that people put on their Facebook accounts. It's just like, oh, wow, really? You're, or, you know, the people who are an answering all of those, those fun quizzes about, uh, you know, you know, what, uh, what's Where's, your, would what, you what? rather have a chocolate or a piece of fruit? And it's like, okay, we're going to sell that information to the fruit marketers of America or the yeah. chocolate marketers of America. And everyone is taking these little quizzes. And it's like, stop it. Stop taking these quizzes. You're telling everyone the stuff they need to know to be able to sell you stuff. And, you know, th there's nothing inherently nefarious about algorithms that draw your attention to items you might be interested in because you might be interested in it. Um, oh, I bought stuff like that that's been pushed out to me. I'll, I'll readily admit, I'll go like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And so on one hand, it's a service. On the other hand, it's a massive invasion of privacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have to decide where you sit on that spectrum uh do you lean towards it being a service or towards it being an intrusion i tend to lean towards it being a service because i don't care what they're doing with my data um you know i always say that if there's spyware on my computer someone somewhere is going to be very bored um, <laughs> so i am i look at it as a service but i also see that there's a cold-bloodedness to it in the way that they just data mine you. Um, it's dehumanizing and impersonal and turns you into nothing but a sales target. But what does traditional marketing do? The same thing. This is just, this just has the ability to do it more precisely. Yeah, it does it better and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and deeper. Yeah. Um, so again, another thing that we'll watch, have to watch if the government reintroduces a bill to uh, make uh, on like make streaming services pay uh, like uh, broadcasters do um, and pay taxes in in this country be interesting to see if that bill is retabled the bill that uh, people said was invade you know giving the government control over freedom of speech on the internet we'll have to see whether that gets reintroduced in, in a different package uh, we're still as a society I mean social media is, if you look at the history of humanity, it's not even an eye blink. We're still struggling to deal with the impact social media has had on our society and figuring out how do we handle it in a manner that is, makes it beneficial as opposed to something which is toxic. And government has to, be, has to play a role in that. And governments don't know where their role is and what the appropriate role is and what will cause people to scream up in arms. So this is very, very new to uh, human experience, social media, and we're still learning how to deal with it. Yeah, and you know, and some of them wait. I mean, Facebook is losing, uh, you know, between uh, an aging demographic and, you know, all technology has, has a, a life cycle. And, you know, Facebook is now becoming an older person's platform. It is, uh, you know, losing members. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of bad press uh, uh, the last little while. And uh, people are starting to push back against, uh, you know, the intrusions into their privacy. But at the same time, Instagram is taking off among a younger generation. And, you know, same company and, you know, they're data mining you like crazy as well. Uh, so, you know, these things kind of ebb and flow as, as they go. Um, um, you know, Microsoft, uh, you know, has been around, it's, it's like a really old, old granddaddy of, of this kind of, uh, of, of technology now. But, you know, these, these things just sort of have, have a natural, you know, um, uh, life cycle that, uh, you know, lasts until the next big thing comes, comes along. You know, the, the, the mice, my spaces and Netscapes and all of the other, uh, the graveyard of, of, of things past. They, Snapchat. Uh, yeah, Snapchat. I mean, yeah. Thing, things that were were next big thing and either got bought up and shelved or incorporated. Uh, so, you know, Facebook, you know, it, it is a big company. I mean, Google, you know, Google, well, Alphabet uh, is is on the, its parent company is on the stock market. And I just checked, uh, they're trading at about $2,800 a share right now. 
uh, you know, that's that, there's a lot of money involved in these sorts of things. So they may end up being, you know, transforming into the next technology when everyone gets tired of uh, Facebook or uh, or YouTube or or whatever uh, whatever new thing comes along. It you know it's a moving target. So by the time the politicians have caught up to whatever Facebook or or um, or, um, or or Google are doing or Amazon. Now their practices, they've already moved on. So it's it's very difficult for something as slow and old uh, demographically as politics to understand and catch up to to the progress of, of, of incredibly fast moving technology. Well, I think so far we've been a ray of sunshine today. Oh yeah, you know what else? What else should we be talking about that make people happy? Yeah, this is you know you leave <laughs> you, you you listen to our podcast and you leave energized. You know you feel good about the world. That's that's our job is to, to be a little ray of sunshine in your life. And uh, we've done it today on two topics. So hopefully uh, you're, uh, you're you're ready to go. You're raring to go and uh, feeling up you're, that you're going to get vaccinated and close your Facebook account. That, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> things worse things could happen to you. I don't think anybody who's unvaccinated listens to us anyway. No, no, I, I, I sincerely hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen, thank you again. Hey, always a pleasure talking. And always a pleasure talking to you. Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawton's, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. I encourage you to follow him on Twitter. My work can be found at newmusicnation.ca, an online video music channel focusing on independent artists with the spirit of classic much music. Uh, building in popularity, lots of great music there that you would never be exposed to otherwise. Lots of great talent here in Canada that we're glad to bring to you. So check it out, newmusicnation.ca. And Stephen, that brings it to a close for us another week. Okay, well, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. I look forward to talking to you and we look forward to talking to all of you on Stephen and Stephen. I'm Stephen Kersner. <laughs>